All right, if you will turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. While you're turning there, let me ask if, uh, if any of you have ever been in a relationship, maybe just observed one, uh, where there's been disunity. Have you ever been in a relationship where there's been disunity? Have you seen a relationship that, where there's been disunity? You're liars. You're all liars. Good grief. How many of you have, have, have been in a home, have lived in a home where there's disunity? Everyone's like, yes, yes, that I have seen. How many of you have been in a church before where there's been disunity? Yes, right? We're sinful people and there's, there's disunity sometimes. There's, there's difficulty sometimes, but sometimes those things can divide and, and break us apart. And, and certainly that's what we're going to see uh, in the church in Ephesus. There was a huge uh, issue that caused disunity. And that's where the church was and that's where um, we're going to look today. Uh, there's divisions, there's disunity, and it's, and it's a part of our sinful nature. But uh, what we're going to look at in Ephesus is, is a long-standing situation. So I want to read, and then uh, we'll talk about it. I'm going to start with verse 11, and let's read through verse 13, if you'll stand with me. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your word. I pray that you'd open our hearts to it right now. That you'd speak to us through your word. Strengthen and challenge and convict and save for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Have a seat. If you, uh, if you looked on the internet, or maybe even on your card, uh, it says we're going to go through verse 16 this morning. Not going to happen. Uh, found that out when there would have been, I think, 30 pages of sermon. So, to get us out of here by one, we're going to go just till verse 13. But it starts off, and the first word that we have here in, in, uh, in our text today is, Therefore. Okay, so let me ask you, why is that word there? We talked about any time we come across this word, therefore, we have our Bibles split into nice, nice sections for us. And, and they even put in these nice little uh, headers over each section. And if you have the Bible that I have, and, and maybe if you don't, it still may say the same thing there where you have this nice heading. And oh, you can look and say, oh, today Tony's going to talk about one in Christ. So I have a head start on the sermon because it told me what it's going to say. But that's not how scripture was written, right? And so we get into this habit of when it's broken apart, we'll go to a certain section and we'll start reading in that section. And a lot of times those sections will begin with the word therefore. And one of the things that that I want to continue to remind you of is anytime you see that word therefore, find out what it's there for. Why does it say therefore? Okay, so... Why does it say that? What is it pointing to here? You tell me. 
Someone said the verses before it, right? By grace, you've been saved. Verses 1 through 10, right? Because of verses 1 through 10, because you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and because God made you alive in Christ, and because by grace you've been saved through faith, then this. And so really, if we want to put it into one sentence, because God has done such great things for us, because God has done such great things for you, remember, remember. We're talking a lot about remembering today. But as we start off, we want to remember that the reason we ought to remember is because of verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. Because of God's grace, because of all that he's done for us, because of what he's given us in Christ. And really, we could say all the way back to the beginning, looking at verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because God did that, then remember, remember. What's he say to remember? Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. We'll stop right there, okay? So remember that at one time, previously, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. He's going to go on. So what is he talking about here? When he talks about Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. Well, this is the basis for the disunity in the church. And it wasn't just in the church in Ephesus. It was in other churches as well. But that's what we're looking at here. But there's disunity in the church of Ephesus, specifically between Jews and Gentiles. And it wasn't some new thing that had just come around. This was baggage that had been carried into the church for from years and years and years and years past, right? I mean, this is stuff that had been going on since almost the beginning of time. The Jews and the Gentiles and this conflict between them and this hatred between them. It says, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. So there's this, there's this disunity between the Jews and the Gentiles. We'll talk about those terms and what it means. But they had carried this for a long time, but that wasn't God's plan. And that, that's certainly not what Paul is saying here. And in fact, in fact, if we look ahead throughout this passage, all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 14, he says, both and one. And in verse 15, he says, one new man. And in verse 16, he talks about one body. In verses 21 and 22, he talks about how they're together. We're together. And so the direction that we know already that, that Paul is heading is this isn't okay. The disunity is not okay. It's not good. It shouldn't be there. Because he begins to use words like both are one and you should be, you are one new man and one body and you're together. And so where did the conflict come from? And what are these terms circumcision and uncircumcision and why is it referred to that way? Why is it in quotation marks? Well, if you know back in the Old Testament, all the way back in the days of Abraham, you know that God sovereignly chose the Jews to be his special people, right? God sovereignly chose the Jews to be his special people, his chosen people. In fact, it says in Amos 3, verse 2, to Israel, 
God is speaking to Israel. He says, you only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. You, Israel, alone have I chosen among all the families of the earth. And so this, this idea of being chosen by God is not this New Testament idea. It's, it's a part of the story of God. He had chosen Israel. He didn't choose the rest of the world. He didn't choose any other people group. He chose this people, Israel. Not because of anything they had done. Not because, I mean, if you look at the history of Israel, if you look after God chose them, you look at their path, you look at the direction they took, you look at how they disobeyed God over and over and over. And yet he chose them. He set them apart. It says in Deuteronomy uh, 14, verse 2, For you are a people holy, set apart, is what holy means. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You've been chosen and set apart as a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. God chose you, Israel. God picked you. He set you apart. He chose you and and he chose you for a purpose. He chose you as as his special treasured possession. He chose you. God chose Israel from all the peoples on the earth as his treasured possession for a purpose. Isaiah 49 verse 3 says, You're my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. And and so just as we, we talk about a lot, and just as we've talked about through the book of Ephesians, the reason God chose Israel is the same reason that Paul says he chooses today. is for his glory is that he would be glorified, that he would be exalted, that he would be lifted up, that he would, that all of the attention, all of the praise, all of the honor, all the glory, all of the exaltation would fall on him alone. Because he alone is worthy. And so as a Gentile, if you were a Gentile, what does that mean? You were excluded. You weren't part of the chosen people of God. If you weren't a Jew, you weren't chosen by God. If you were a Gentile, you were excluded from these promises of God, from these blessings of God. If you were a Gentile, you were the uncircumcised. That's what it says here in verse 11. You were a dog. Everybody feeling good right now? Right? And remember with with David, do you remember David when, when he's a about to have this encounter with Goliath and, and, and he hears what Goliath is saying. Remember what he says? Who is this uncircumcised Gentile? Remember uh, Jonah. Jonah was probably the, the best picture of the attitude of the Jewish people against the Gentiles, right? God tells it. God says to Jonah, I want you to go And preach to the people of Nineveh and say that I'm fed up. I've had it. I want you to go to preach against them. And tell them I'm going to judge. And Jonah says, I'm not not going to that place. I'm not going to go there. And he goes the opposite direction. And it's even worse, right? Because God sort of forces the hand, right? By having him swallowed by a great big fish and vomiting him up on the beach. That would... 
that would convince me, right? If God had called me to start this church and I was like, I don't know, California is nice and all. And so I go out to the beach and like this big fish comes and swallows me up. I don't like putting hooks on, 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 on the, the, the worms on the hooks, right? Ah, so those lips, right? Ah, like, can you imagine that? Comes around, up the Ohio River, somehow, right? Oh, fine, fine, right? But that didn't end the story. So he goes, and he's just washed with the stuff inside the fish. And he goes and preaches what God tells him to preach. And God has mercy. And what does Jonah do? He's ticked off. He's like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were a God like that. And I knew you would have mercy on those people that they don't deserve mercy. They're Gentiles. Those people don't deserve. So that was the attitude. That was a Jewish attitude against the Gentiles. It was prejudice that ran deep. It still does. The Jews were God's people. They were protected and precious in God's sight. If you were a Jewish parent, if you were a good Jewish parent, you would teach your kids. You don't go into a Gentile house. Just like you don't touch a dead corpse. You don't go there. You don't want to get Gentile-y. Right? You don't want to get contaminated. You don't want to... You don't want to be defiled. So you don't go there. And so there's this dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. And notice what Paul's saying, though. Those walls, those barriers, barriers are fleshly. He says, at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. The, the New American Standard says this, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. It's, it's just outward, he says. This, this difference, this difficulty, this disunity is just an outward thing. In fact, Paul says in Romans 9.6 that not all Israel was true Israel. Some were, but not all were. And the evidence was whether or not they confessed Jesus as the Son of God or denied Him. The evidence of whether you were truly Israel was whether or not you confessed Christ. And that's what he says in Philippians 3.3, For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says again in, in Romans 2.28 and 29, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And what Paul's saying is, unless you've, unless you've been regenerated, unless chapter 2, verses 4 through 10 have taken place, it's just, that's just outward. It's just flesh. And yet this dividing wall was up between them. And imagine, it wasn't just the Jews that hated the Gentiles. The Gentiles hated the Jews. Despised them. Because of, uh, imagine, I mean, try to imagine this. 
maybe bring, being brought up in this home. We're just taught. You don't go near those people. You don't talk to those kind of people. Right? That's prejudice, right? I mean, that's what they would have been brought up in. And so there was hatred. There was division. From one side to the other, from the other side to the one. In fact, Paul's talking to the Gentiles here. And they'd build up so much hatred against the Jews. And he speaks to them here when he says, You Gentiles in the flesh call the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. But notice he doesn't say this. Just forget about it. Just, just brush it under the... No, he doesn't say that, does he? What's the word he uses? He says, remember. I want you to remember something. I want you to think about something. I want you to remember certain things. In verse 12, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So he walks through with them. Look, before Christ came, this was your circumstance. This is the way it was. You were separated from Christ. No Messiah. No hope of a Messiah. I was reading um, John Piper this this last week. And he was speaking about um, this text. He says this, Why do we pray, but with so little fervor and affection? Why do so many sing, but scarcely from the heart and with such blank expressions? Why are so few hearts breaking for the lost people around them? Why is lukewarm love for Jesus so common and white hot devotion so rare? One of the reasons is this. You can't bring the burner of commitment and affection up to white hot if you short circuit God's heating element and jump the current from Ephesians 2.10 to 2.13. We need to remember what we were. We need to remember, just like when, when Michael was, was preaching from, from chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We need to remember and, and think what we were. I, I think sometimes, you know, you know the, um, the magician has the helper, right? The, the lady friend that helps him out, right? We're kind of like that sometimes. Where, where you know, you, you may have seen this on TV, where they'll get in the box, right? And the, and the magician pulls out the big, huge sword, or the saw, right? Like everyone's all nervous. Oh, no, he's really going to saw her in half. And everyone's like on the edge of their seat. Oh, no, what if this time there actually is blood and, and all that, right? And so they're nervous, right? And so cut, 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 and then they pull apart. Oh, wow, like this woman is in two. That's unbelievable. I'm like blown away that he just cut her in two. Now what is she going to do? She'll probably die, right? But no, he brings back together and then pulls everything out. And then she jumps up and it's like, hey, if you were to talk to her afterwards, right? Imagine if you bump into her in the hall and you're like, oh my goodness. Were you like terrified? Were you so scared because he had that huge saw and he was going to cut you in half? Were you, were you so scared because that was your death? You were about to die up there. What would she say? What are you talking about? It's just a trick. It's just it's an illusion. It's not real. He's not, he's not really going to cut. I wasn't, no, I wasn't afraid. I think we're kind of like that. 
I mean, if I ask you, do you remember what you were before Christ? Yes. Do you know that you were dead in your trespasses? Oh, boy, yes, was I ever. And we can kind of give assent to it, but, but is there really this bone feeling of, I was dead? And that's what Paul's talking about here. When he says, remember, he's, he's really telling them to think. And not just be able to give verbal assent to, not just something where you're looking back on and, and it's almost like it wasn't real. It wasn't like I really had a chance of dying. It's God. He is love. He is good. Of course he was going to save me. And we kind of have that. It's not real. Why are you getting so worked up about it in our hearts? We would never confess that. But I think in our hearts and our heads, that's kind of the way we treat it. What Paul says, you need to remember. You need to think. And it's not just giving verbal assent to, but feeling in your bones. Remember that in those days, you were separated from Christ. You remember what it was like to be without God? To not have Christ? To not have God? Now, some of you may, may hear that, and you, you may be like me, and you're like, I don't. I was... I was I began a relationship with Jesus at an early age and brought up in the church. And I don't, I can't remember. I don't think there's anything to remember before God. I didn't do that much bad stuff. It's going to be like that. So does that exclude us? Is that Paul saying, well, never mind then. Don't think about it. Don't remember it. You're the lady with the magician. It's fine. Is that No, he's, he's not saying, hey, if you have this dramatic, unbelievable conversion story, then, then I want you to remember. All of us, we ought, to, we ought to concentrate. What would it be like without Christ? That's what he's saying to the Gentiles here. You were at that time separated from Christ. What would it be like? In, in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, what if there was... No verse 4 that said, but God for you. What, what if you couldn't say, God, being rich in mercy, made me alive in Christ? If you couldn't say that. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ. The Gentiles' history had no purpose, no plan, no direction, no Messiah, no hope. The only future for, for Gentiles was the judgment of God. And they didn't even know that was coming. No, no Savior. No Jesus. Remember, Paul says, remember that at one point you were without Christ. He goes on. Remember that you were with, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of of Israel, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't welcome there. You weren't invited there. You weren't a part of those people. You weren't. You weren't there. God had. God had chosen those people, and He had made His chosen people a theocracy, right? This nation governed by God, and you were excluded. You were an alien to that. A nation who 
where God was the king. He says, remember that you were excluded, you were left out, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And you were strangers to the covenants of promise. Think through that. Think through the promises that God made for Israel. Promises of of blessing. I mean, from the very beginning with Abraham. I'm going to bless you. And through you, the nations are going to be blessed. I'm going to bless you. Because you were excluded from that. You, you were a stranger. To, not only were you left out of those promises at that time, but you, didn't even, you really weren't even aware of them. You were a stranger to those promises of God. Now, as we talk about this, I, I'm, seriously, I'm, I'm asking us to think that this is us without Christ. These beautiful promises that we've talked about. I just, I just love chapter 1 as we worked our way through chapter 1. Just the, the beauty, the praise of verses 3 through 14 just is overwhelming. But what Paul's saying is just think for a minute. Remember that at one time you were left out of that. You were alienated from that. You were a stranger to that. He's saying to the Gentiles, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers to the covenants of promise. Promises to bless and prosper and multiply and save and redeem. There are strangers to that. He goes on and he says, having no hope. Having no hope. Think about that. No hope. Without Christ, we are hopeless, right? We're hopeless. Without Christ, we have nothing good in our future. I mean, there's nothing worse, I think, than to think through the, that thought of hopelessness. I mean, to imagine an unbeliever who, who, who's, who's looking at death in the face. What a hopeless, hopeless thought that is. And Paul says, remember, at one time, without Christ, you're hopeless. You're hopeless. How many people are walking around hopeless today? Without Christ, we we are hopeless. Do, do we honestly believe that? Do we feel that in our bones? Jesus, without you, I have no hope. Some of us, honestly, the way we live and the way that we think and the way that we pray it would almost be as if we could follow that up and say, except I, I have a good job. I, have, I mean, my family. I still have my family. If I don't have you, I still have my family. I still have this. I still have this. Why? Because if we're honest, we, we would say that because we put so much of our hope in those things, not in Christ. He says, without Christ, you're hopeless, hopeless. You remember the story of Job, where Job was, was stricken with this, these boils and the sickness and his family was taken. And in chapter 7, verse 6, he says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. One of the saddest verses in the whole book of Job, right? My days end and I have no hope. That's what it's like without Christ. Paul says, remember that you were 
without hope before God made you alive in Christ Jesus. He finishes that verse, he says, and without God in the world. Really, that's, that's synonymous with that phrase, having no hope. If we, have, if we don't have God, if we're, if we're godless, then we don't have hope. And certainly, if, if we want to, you know, look and, and, and look at the Gentiles, did they have gods? <laughs> yes. They worshipped idols. They worshipped so many different things. So many different carved images and But what's he saying? You didn't have the one true God. You were separated from that. You were alienated from the one true living God. You were hopeless and without God in the world. He goes on, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Love these verses. Chapter 2, verse 4. You were dead, right? You were dead. You were a corpse. But God. And now we have this. Just remember. I want you to remember. 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 You were separated. You were alienated. You were excluded. You were strangers. You had no hope. You were without God. But now in Christ Jesus. Things were bad. Things were dark. Things were hopeless. You were lost. And I want you to remember that. I want you to think back on that. I want you to, to, to put your mind to that thought of what it was like. But now in Christ, but now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember that you were separated. Remember that you were alienated. Remember that you were strangers and hopeless and without God. But that now in Christ, you've been rescued. You who once were far off, it says. But now in Christ, you who once were far off. That was an expression that the the Jewish people would use of the Gentiles. Those who are far off. Those who are far from God. They're not a part of us. They're They're not Jewish. They're not the chosen people of God. And they would, they would say of themselves that, that we are those who have been brought near. We have this covenant relationship with God. His presence is literally with us in the temple in Jerusalem. We've been brought near. And those are those who, have been, who are far off. But Paul says that in Christ, every person, Jew and Gentile alike, is brought near to God by the blood of Christ. It's not this external nearness like he's talking about in in, in verse 11, but it's a heart change. It's a heart nearness. It's it's verse 4, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. And so it's not this picture of, of two tracks where, where the Jewish people now are, are going towards God and going towards God and going towards God, but without Christ. And the Gentile people are going towards God, going towards God, going towards God, but with Christ. It's one track, Paul says. It's one track, Scripture says. That the true Israel are those who trust in Christ and His redeeming work that He did on the cross. And there's one track. We are together because of Christ. And it's not us going towards the same point on different tracks, different ways. There's one track, Christ. Through the blood of Christ, you've been brought near. 
In fact, he says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the to the promise. Colossians 3 verse 11, Paul says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. I love that. They're not two tracks. It's not the Jewish people chosen by God and they have their way of getting to God and the Gentile people chosen by God and they have their way to get to God through Christ. It's Christ is all and in all. Christ is all. And, 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 and for us to be on that track, it's through Christ. Whether Jew or Greek or, or whatever it is. Paul says there, there is no divisions. It's Christ. He is all. It's all about Christ and what he has accomplished. Over the next week, two weeks probably, we're going to talk about these divisions and the dividing wall and and how God has has taken that down. But I want to focus on this remembering part this morning. Because it's a command. That's what Paul says at the beginning. Remember. He tells us to remember what we were. He tells us to remember what it was like before. And so why is that a good thing? I mean, is he saying I should go back and think through all the things I did, all those sins I committed? No. He's not talking about that. He's talking about your spiritual circumstance. What it was like for you spiritually. What it was was like for you. Where you would have been at without Christ. He's not talking about thinking through the details of, oh, I remember when I did this, and oh, I used to be able to do this, and this, and this, and this. No, it's where would you be without Christ? And so why is that a good thing for us to remember? Why is it a good thing for for us to think through chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and to really understand that we were not just sick in our sins, but that we were absolutely dead in our sins? Why is it that Paul says it would be good for us to remember that we were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world? That sounds sad. Why is that a good thing for me to think through that? And four things I, w- I want to I encourage you with and, and challenge you with and hopefully cause us, even as we go through this week, to really think and praise God for Christ and all that we have in Christ. I think there's four reasons that, that we ought to remember and think about our previous condition the first one is humility humility i I mentioned this two weeks ago first corinthians chapter 1 verses 28 through 31 says god chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of god he is the source of your life in christ jesus whom god made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one boast, or let no one who boasts, boast. Hmm. Let me read that verse again. Therefore, 
as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. My boasting can, can be no place but in Christ. Christ is all. And so as I approach God, as I think and I remember, what it will cause in me is humility. Realizing, what did I do? What did I deserve? I certainly didn't deserve this. I can't look back on my previous state separated from Christ and say, that wasn't right. That wasn't fair. What's not fair is that I've been given grace. I was given what I don't deserve. That's what grace is. It's getting what you don't deserve. And so I can't look back and say that that wasn't right. God was gracious to me. And and so it brings humility. The second thing that it brings is gratitude. Gratitude. You know, this, this... Short verse from 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. We, we think back at our previous condition. It, it ought to bring gratitude for Christ. And, and that should look like joy. I love, I love the, the, the transition, right? I mean, what we're talking about is, is there was a time when the Gentiles were without Christ, right? Well, when that changed at the cross, but then practically in the book of Acts, right? Go to Acts chapter 13. Let's start with uh, verse 44. Read through 49. This is the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now listen, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Can you imagine that moment? They had lived in the outsiders. (laughs) They had lived in the you're not invited. They had lived in the alienated place. They had lived in that. And then all of a sudden, as they're listening and they're intrigued, they're coming out. The whole city's coming out to hear this teaching of Paul. And then Paul says, salvation is coming to the Gentiles. Can you imagine the response of the people? I mean, it tells us here, right? They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And glorifying the word of the Lord. That should be our response from remembering. We should have the same response. Their situation is no different than ours. They were without Christ. We were without Christ at some point. And our response should be the same. And it should kindle in us this passionate joy in Christ. I think back of of that quote from Piper. Why are so many of us joyless? Because I don't think we remember. I think we're just that 
helper on the platform who's just saying, I don't think it really, he couldn't have killed me, really. It's just a trick. But when we think and realize all that we have in Christ, and remember, I think that it creates in us a genuine joy in God. And the result of that, just like them, is we glorify God. We glorify his word. The third thing is an exaltation of God's righteousness, grace, and mercy. An exaltation of God's righteousness, grace, and mercy. It's, that's why we're saved. We've been credited with righteousness. We don't have a righteousness in ourselves. We've been credited with righteousness. And it's not our own. It's the righteousness of Christ. And so our cleanness before God is all because of Christ. Even, even how he lived. His righteous life has now been credited to our account. We ought to praise him and exalt him and glorify him. And that is grace. It's Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We ought to exalt in the grace of God. Praising, worshiping, focusing our attention and thankfulness on the grace of God. He gave us what we didn't earn. That's what grace is, right? We just, we just said that. It's getting what you don't deserve. And mercy, it's not getting what you do deserve. That's the easiest way to think through grace and mercy. Grace is, is getting what you don't deserve. Saved. Salvation, forgiveness. Mercy is, is God seeing us in our dead condition and not giving us what we do deserve. What we did deserve was for him to look and turn his back and walk away and leave us there. What we did deserve was condemnation. What we did deserve, what we still do deserve is an eternal punishment. But his mercy looked at us and said, I'm, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you grace. And so we ought to exalt in his righteousness and in his grace and in his mercy. The fourth thing that I ought to do is, is put a passion in us for the Great Commission. Put a passion in us for the Great Commission. And why, why would it do that? There are still people of all nations, separated, alienated, strangers, having no hope, having no hope, and without God in the world. And Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, or surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. We talked about Romans 10 over the last couple of messages, where everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how are they, how are they going to call? How do they know if they're not told? And so as we think back of our previous condition, it ought to, it ought to bring humility to us. It ought to bring gratitude to us. It ought to, it ought to cause us to exalt in God and all He is and all He's done. And it ought to just stir in us a passion, a passion to fulfill the Great Commission, to see those who are still hopeless, to see those who are still dead in their trespasses and sin and give them the gospel. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you. Thank you, God, 
for all that you've done. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for coming and living a perfect life. God, I pray that you'd help us. There's some of us, myself included at times, who've gotten so used to this message, so used to hearing the good news that it's it's just become stale. And we don't think and remember what we were or what we would be without you. Help us, help us. I pray that your word would cause us to think and remember and would bring humility, that it would bring thanksgiving and joy, gladness in our hearts, that it would bring worship, that we would exalt in your righteousness, that we would exalt in your grace, that we would exalt in your mercy, and it would launch us, giving us hearts for those who are still lost, who are still dead, who are still broken, who are still hopeless and alienated. Knowing that now we have hope in Christ. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your righteousness. We love you. We praise you, Father. Thank you for your word. And pray that just as the Gentiles in Acts 13 responded, that we would glorify your word. That we would love it and live it. In Christ's name, amen.